I invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. We begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 14. God's people in a pagan culture, Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court of officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take the words that you have given here to the exiles in Babylon many years ago and use them, Father, to teach us the lessons that you would have us to understand even today. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of creation. You are the God who is in control of the nations of the world. You're a God who has a plan for us, for this world, for the future. And thank you that we can rest in you because you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. May the words of my mouth today, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Every time that I have been in a foreign country, which hasn't been too many times, but every time I've been there, I didn't quite feel at home. And I guess that's not surprising when you're in a different country. The people were nice to me. I enjoyed my my time away from home, but it wasn't quite what I was used to. The language was different, uh, struggling to communicate in another language that I didn't know, other than words like taco and burrito. The food was a little bit different. The money looked a little different. And certainly the culture was quite a bit different from what I was used to. The longer I live in the United States of America the less I feel at home. I'm not sure that you feel the same way as well, but it seems like we are living in a culture that has changed so much in just the past couple of decades. And I've often wondered what would happen if my parents who died 16 years ago were to come back to life and see where the country has gone since then, or my grandparents, since they died in the 60s, what it would be like for them to come back and see what it is like to live in the United States today. Now, I know that this world is not my home. As the songwriter says, we are just passing through. Our citizenship, Paul says in Philippians 3, is in heaven. And we await a Savior who will come from there, Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies like unto His glorious body. And that will be a glorious day. So we are citizens of heaven if we know Jesus. And yet for now, this is where we live. We live in a culture that has radically changed. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves, and maybe in light of the election, it's a good time to ask ourselves this question. How am I to live as a believer in Jesus Christ in a pagan culture? How do we live in this world today? I would suggest to you that the text we read this morning gives us four principles First of all, God's people in a pagan culture need to listen to God's word. Listen to God's word. If there was ever a people that needed to hear from God, it was the people to whom Jeremiah writes in our text. Instead of listening to God's word, the people of Israel had listened to the word of the false prophets. And as a result, they were paying The price for it. They were experiencing bondage in the land of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And as you can well imagine, it was a very difficult time. Listen to what Psalm 137 says about this. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land was their response. As Jeremiah writes to these captives in Babylon, he refers to the Word of God no less than 11 times in just 20 verses. And you see that phrase over and over again, thus says the Lord of hosts, or this is what the Lord says, this is what the Lord of hosts says, thus says the Lord of hosts. And when you see something that is repeated over and over again, that is for emphasis, right? You need to listen. God has something to say to you, and you need to hear it. You need to listen to God's Word. Now, when we think of the need to listen to God's Word, we think of the people out there, right? Those people out there. We want to put the blame on the culture around us. And we would say to ourselves, if only they would listen to what God says, our world would be so much better. And you can't argue with that, can you? (laughs) But these verses weren't written to the pagans in Babylon. They were written to God's people. Verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. These were words for the people of God. Not the people out there, but for the people of God. So if you consider yourself to be one of God's people... This word is for you. His word is for you. And so we need to ask ourselves the question today, do I really listen to God's word? Do I spend time each day at the feet of Jesus, my Bible open, reading God's word so I could hear what he has to say to me? And when I listen to God's word, am I willing to obey God's word? Would you agree that there is nothing that is more important for you than to listen to the Word of God? Remember Martha and Mary? Martha was all distracted by all the preparations that needed to be made. And and Jesus, what did He say to her? Martha, Martha, you are worried about all kinds of things. But then Jesus said, there is only one thing that is necessary. And Mary has chosen the better part, which won't be taken from her. What is the one thing that is really needed? It is, it's to listen to God. What does God say? So God's people in a pagan culture need to listen to God's Word. A second principle we notice, God's people in a pagan culture need to learn from God's discipline. If I asked you who was responsible for sending the people of Israel into Babylon, how would you answer that question? If you said Nebuchadnezzar, you'd be right, wouldn't you? Verse 1 tells us that. That it was Nebuchadnezzar that had come into Jerusalem and had taken the Israelites captive to Babylon. But if you said that God was the one who had taken them captive to Babylon, you would also be right because if you look at verse 4, God is writing to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
So Nebuchadnezzar was the human instrument who brought the Israelites to Babylon, but God was the one who was behind it all. He used the Babylonians as his rod of correction to discipline his people. We could say that Nebuchadnezzar was God's spanking stick, huh? In disciplining people who would not listen to the Word of God. Isn't this what God said He was going to do? Are you familiar with the book of Habakkuk? One of those Old Testament minor prophets. Listen to his prayer. He says, How long, O Lord... Habakkuk 1-2, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look at wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Almost sounds like our day, doesn't it? Can you identify with the heart of this prophet? All the corruption in our world today, and it seems like justice is never carried out. Listen to how God answered that. In verse 5, he says, look among the nations, observe, be astonished and wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And what was that? God says, behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. I am raising up the Babylonians. And he goes on to describe what the Babylonians would do to come and take the Israelites captive. And and then Habakkuk goes on to say, said, Lord, how can you do this? They are more wicked than we are. How can you do this? God used them to discipline a people who would not listen to God's word. And so here they are experiencing that discipline in the land of Babylon. And God sends them then this message. And how are they to respond to this discipline of God? Listen to what Jeremiah says in verse 5. He says, build houses and live in them. And plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. 
when 70 years are completed, God said, I will bring you back. The false prophets gave the people of Israel false hope. They said God would never judge Jerusalem. God will never destroy His temple. Over and over they said, this will never happen. Don't listen to Jeremiah, this negative man. Don't listen to him. This will never happen. And when it did happen, they said, this isn't going to last long. We'll be back in the land in just a, just a short time. But God made it clear that it wasn't going to be a short time. And so they needed to make the best of their difficult circumstances. He said, build houses, plant gardens, raise your families. And then in verse 7, he says, you need to work and pray for the welfare of the city. Isn't that interesting? They were the enemies. And God said, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Why? For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Isn't this what we are called to do as well? As long as we are in this world, we need to seek the welfare of the city. How do we do that? Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, right? That's our calling. And so we need to boldly and lovingly engage our culture with the truth of God's word because there is power in God's word to transform lives and we must be willing to share that word regardless of the cost. And it might cost us. No, I'll rephrase that. It will cost us. Especially as our culture continues to slide downhill into moral depravity, it is going to cost us, in one way or another, to engage the culture with the truth of God's Word. So we better be ready for it. And don't be surprised when it comes. It's already here, isn't it? Another thing we need to do, especially in a couple of days, we need to vote. We need to take a stand as believers in Jesus and vote for those who will do what is best for our country. I'm not sure what the statistic is, but I've been told that somewhere between 25 and 30 million evangelicals did not vote last election cycle. There's no excuse for that. No excuse. If you haven't planned on voting, I hope you do. And I know with the People running today, a lot of people are just throwing up their hands in despair. Well, we need to vote for the platform. Where does the Bible, where do they stand on principles that are consistent with God's Word? Like abortion and LGBT and all those issues. We need to vote. But most important of all, we need to pray.
Isn't that what verse 7 says? Pray to the Lord on behalf of the city. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says we are to pray for kings and for those in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life. Isn't that what's being said here? Pray to the Lord on behalf of the city, for in its welfare you will have welfare. God is the only one who can change our country. And that's why we need to get down on our knees and pray. No person will ever change our country. Only God can change it. The third principle, God's people in a pagan culture need to wait for God's timing. If there's one thing that is hard for us to do, it is to wait, isn't it? Any of you struggle with waiting? Little kids waiting for Christmas? Teenagers waiting to drive? Huh? Get out of home and get out of the house, get out of my own. And it just seems like waiting is so hard to do. And we usually think, you know, if God would just move a little bit faster, things would be a lot better. Did you notice in verse 12? I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page. Ever done that, preachers? The great preacher Phillips Brooks was one day seen by a friend hurrying back and forth in his study. Asked what was wrong, he said, I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Identify with that? I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Think of the exiles in Babylon. It would have been one thing to wait for 70 days. In our culture, that's a real long time, isn't it? 70 weeks. 70 months before they returned from captivity. But verse 10 says that they had to wait for 70 years. And 70 years is a long time, isn't it? I can imagine them saying to themselves, our return to Israel will never happen. God must have forgotten us. But Jeremiah writes this letter and says, say, wait, because God has his timing. God will move when it is time to move. And God has a purpose in His timing. So maybe you ask, well, why, why so long? Why, why 70 years? Well, the Bible tells us. In Leviticus chapter 26, verses 33 to 35, the Lord told the Israelites that the land was to have a Sabbath rest every seven years. No planting of crops. And if they didn't follow his command, he would remove them from the land so that the land could have rest. And if you read in Second Chronicles chapter 36, you see that they disobeyed that. Verse 20 says, those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. 
So God was committed to fulfill his plan for his people, and he would wait as long as it was needed for that plan to be fulfilled. And when the time was right, then God would bring his blessing. Verse 10 says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed, then I'll visit you. I will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. God would wait until the time was right in fulfillment of his plan. Do you believe that God is committed to fulfill his plan today? Do you believe that God has a plan for this world today? Does God have a plan for your life and my life today? Yes, he does. We wait upon him because his timing is always perfect. He knows exactly what to do and when to do it. And that's why we must learn To wait. Philip Riken writes these words If God's plans are for the future, the Christian must not complain about the present. One of the dangers of grumbling about what God is doing is that whatever it is, God probably is not finished doing it. By its very nature, a plan is something that will not be completed until sometime in the future. And once it is completed, it will not be a plan anymore. It will be history. Then he says, if God has plans for a hope and a future, you must give him enough time to work them out. (laughs) Waiting. Waiting. Dr. Arthur Pearson once told of being alone in the study of George Mueller. And so he decided to look into Mueller's Bible. And so he opened it up and he was thumbing through the book of Psalms and he came across Psalm 37, 23, which says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And right beside that, George Mueller wrote this little note, and the stops, too. So both our steps and our stops are ordered by God. And that's why we need to wait on Him. There's one final lesson. One principle. God's people in a pagan culture need to seek God's face. The people of Israel would not listen to God. In that same passage of 2 Chronicles 36, listen to what it says about them. Verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God. 
despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. In other words, the only choice that God had was to bring judgment. To send in the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, and bring the people of Israel captive to Babylon. Now, if you look at verse 12 of our text, you will notice what the result of this would be. Verse 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Did you notice how verse 12 begins with the word then? Then. When would... The then take place. When would the people call upon the Lord and pray to Him and seek with Him, seek Him with all their heart? It was after God had disciplined them in Babylon. So what God did in sending them to Babylon performed its work of driving them back to God. That was His discipline of them. And as the 70 years were completed, then Jeremiah said, you'll call upon me. God has ways of driving us back to him. God has ways of disciplining us and and bringing us to the place where we recognize how desperately we need him. Sometimes God does that with us as individuals. Sometimes he does that with nations. Driving us back to him like the little boy who lost his little boat in the pond and a bigger lad came along and he picked up some rocks and he started throwing the rocks at the boat the little boy was crying what are you doing you're going to ruin my boat but he was throwing those rocks just a little bit beyond the boat and it was the waves that brought that boat back to shore. The waves that drive us to God. The difficulties that drive us to God, that move us to God. And this was God's plan for the people of Israel, that this time of 70 years of discipline would drive them back to Him. Then you will call upon Me and come and pray to Me and I will listen to you. Do you think God is disciplining us? I don't think there's any question that He is disciplining our nation. The only question is this, will we listen? Will we turn back to God? There have been times in our history where there has been a significant movement of God to turn the nation back to Him. We think of the first and the second great awakenings. Back in the mid to late 1700s and early 1800s. Under men like George Whitfield. Jonathan 
Edwards. George Whitfield was a man who, who spoke sometimes to 30,000 people and they could all hear him <laughs> without a microphone. Can you imagine that? What a voice he must have had. But God used these men and there was a great awakening in our land. So God has brought revival to our land in the past in some wonderful ways. Should we not pray that God will do it again? Should we not pray for revival in our nation? How about revival in our church? How about revival in our own hearts? In you and in me. Many years ago, an old man stood by a picture of William Booth in the Methodist church where Booth was converted. And the minister approached the old man and he asked, he said, the old man said, can, can a man say his prayers here? Of course, said the minister. Of course, a man can say his prayers here. The old man knelt and bowed his head. And then he looked up to God. He said, oh, God, do it again. Do it again. Is that our prayer today? Oh, God, do it again. Bring revival to our land again. Lord, send your spirit upon us again. Turn us back to you, oh, God, again. We need revival. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Call upon me, the Lord says, and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, do a work in our midst today. Show us the need, O oh God, to, to call out to you, to get down on our knees and to pray. We know that our citizenship is in heaven, and one day we will be there around your throne praising you. But until that day, we live in a world that really needs prayer, a world that needs the word of God. So help us to be people of prayer, people of your word, salt and light in a culture that is so rapidly deteriorating. And may you receive the glory and the praise for all that's accomplished in our lives. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.